0: Hi everyone welcome to the brown woman health podcast i'm priya a pharmacy student and an intern with brown women health and i'm thrilled to be discussing an extremely important topic autism in south asian communities joining us today is dr kira a certified psychologist i'm excited to ask her some important questions regarding this topic including common stigmas of autism in south asian communities support programs offered for autistic individuals and why women of color often go undiagnosed Let's dive into today's episode, Autism in South Asian Communities, with Dr. Kira Mimilkappan. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, of course. So my first question is, uh, can you kind of talk to us a little bit about how you got into, you know, psychology and kind of your path from the beginning of your career to where you are now today with the SAC Autism Center?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, I think you know, psychology is is uh, now I think a, a more common career choice for uh, women in our community. But when I got started, there wasn't a whole lot of conversation happening around mental health um, or psychology. But I was fascinated by mental health and, and behavior and what made people tick in in general. So. I was quite committed around the idea of studying to become a clinical psychologist. My area of research and expertise uh, was so different when I started from uh, what I do now. I was uh, actually studying eating disorders, which is another really interesting area to to consider within uh, our community. But um, what happened is during grad school, I got into volunteering with the SAC Autism Centre in Toronto, Canada. And I was mostly in that capacity using my training and expertise towards mental health program development. Um, I've always been passionate about improving access uh, to mental health services, especially among underserved communities. And um, I would argue that the South Asian community is incredibly underserved in that respect. And through my work with SAC, I learned so much more about autism and the intersection of mental health with that, not just among autistic individuals, but also their families. So their parents, siblings, you know, the South Asian community is is so family centered. And so one person's challenges um, affect the the whole family, the whole community. And so with that, I helped develop CARES, um, which is a skills-based support group program Um, that came out of SAC. It's for caregivers uh, in in this community, especially focused on uh, sort of being culturally responsive to to the South Asian community. Um, Initially, we started at at SAC, um, but now I'm I'm happy to say that CARES is actually offered all across uh, our province of Ontario, um, which is, is really a personal point of pride. So I... Yeah, like I I really fell in love with uh, the work we do at SAC. And I ended up doing my uh, pre-doctoral residency at a community agency in, in Toronto called Surrey Place, which also serves individuals in the neurodevelopmental sector and their families. And I do work full time there now. But I continue to, to support uh, at SAC, uh, mostly as the Director of Research and Mental Health Services.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And I think it's so inspiring that, you know, your journey really started from volunteering and giving, you know, your time back to your community. And you kind of found like a aha passion, like a, you had like this moment where you veered off from a specific plan you had, maybe that this eating disorder and that path to something completely different. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I still wonder, like, how did I get here? <laughs> but you know, it's it's such a gift to to be working in the sector that I work, um, especially doing kind of the community-based work of being able to serve um, individuals and their families. Directly.
0: And so you mentioned that your role with uh, SAC is a little bit more on the research side. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what you do there and how everything kind of comes together for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually, I wonder if I might share a little bit more about SAC first, uh, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, You know, we started or well, our our founder and and now executive director started SAC in her basement. She used to teach dance. Um, She still teaches, I think, dance. But she uh, started giving um, youth on the autism spectrum free sort of adapted dance classes right out of her basement. And as the years went by, and this community um, began growing, SAC sort of was born and uh, started adding additional services, largely with the help of passionate volunteers and the hardworking families as well of of these individuals. Um, Now we serve much more than the South Asian community. We really focus on... Diverse communities, still um, newcomers to Canada, um, people who might need a little bit more help navigating the system, um, and and I'm you know pleased to say we've we've grown considerably. We have a couple of sites uh, in Scarborough now, and um, have a huge group of of very dedicated volunteers and autism professionals. So my role in that is. Um, as I mentioned, the director of uh, research and mental health services, I continue to oversee the operation and expansion of, of CARES that that program I, I mentioned. Um, I focus on program development for further mental health services for staff and and clients. Um, and I also think a big part of um, what we can do more um, for this community is is research, participating in research, because. Uh, We're a community that seems especially kind of um, wary, I guess, of of research participation, telling our stories. Uh, And so I try and build research and community partnerships with uh, universities, um, other community agencies. And part of that is also sharing more about that research that, that SAC is involved in with our families, with our staff, things like that.
0: That's great. And I think it's so inspiring that, you know, an idea that was formed from someone who just wanted to give back. Like you mentioned, the founder was just trying to give back with the dance in her life. You know, it created this large organization that's now affecting people across, you know, the country. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we do work not just uh you know, locally, but also internationally. We've uh, we've done training with teachers in uh, Sri Lanka, for example, um, and I think it's it's just really rewarding being able to sort of um, you know create that ripple effect of, of giving yeah,
0: back. Yeah, that's great. And I know I wanted to touch on. Uh, you mentioned that you know it used to be kind of South Asian directed, but now it's across many diverse communities and it's funny because when i was kind of doing a little bit research on sac and um you know the community and organization i read this something that mentioned how it used to stand for maybe it still does but it was a south asian autism awareness center but today it's just sac autism center because you want to be more uh, inclusive they wanted to be inclusive and help more people of course south asians you know, people, but even more than that. So I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we love our acronyms. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, that's exactly right. Uh, good job on, on doing that research. I think it's it's tricky, though, because the rebranding also kind of made it confusing for people who very much know us as the agency that supports South Asians. Um, and so sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be speaking with like a case manager or someone, you know, outside of that sphere. And, and I'll be like, oh, you know, you can refer them to SAC. And they're like, what? what's what's SAC? Right? <laughs> like They still think of it as, as the South Asian wow. uh, Awareness Autism Center. But I think what was really born out of that focus, that initial focus on, on South Asians, was also that lens of cultural responsivity, right? The idea that the way that traditional mental health care and developmental services are offered don't always gel well with minority communities, right? And that in order to to serve them better, we need to help bring them to the table. We can't just, you know, hold up our signs and then say, well, why aren't you coming and, and getting the support and getting the treatment that you need? We need to meet them where they're at.
0: No, of course, of course. And as much as it's amazing that, you know, the organization has expanded more globally and, you is more inclusive. I think it's great that it originated from the perspective that, you know, we want to help the South Asian community because mental health and disorders like this, where it's so unspoken of, it's very hush-hush, it's almost taboo to imagine. It could be perceived as like, you know, something that Mm -hmm. shouldn't be talked about, shouldn't be, you know, discussed so i think it's great that you know there is an organization like this that talks openly about it and is informative and helpful to the families and the individuals who are going through this and needing help absolutely and
1: and we can take our lessons learned and share that knowledge with other service providers other agencies Um, whether, you know, across our province or our country and or even globally, right? Um, We've developed, for example, cultural competence toolkits. We do webinars um, for other agencies and individuals looking to build that capacity so that it's not just us serving the South Asian community, so that um, the system as a whole can can serve uh, visible minority communities better.
0: That's great. And actually, going off of that, I wanted to ask, so what... Have you seen in your experience some stigmas or stereotypes portrayed of autism in South Asian peace? Oh my gosh, where do I start?
1: Uh, you know, I don't think it's unique to to the South Asian community. I, I want to be fair in in saying that, and I can only speak to my experience, right, working in this in this community. Um, I don't doubt that there are misconceptions across uh, different cultural groups or you know, different um, um, areas of the world. Uh, but I could speak to, for example, the origins of autism, the misconceptions about that. I think it's interesting because um, our community tends to be uh, very, often very religious or, or superstitious. Um, and so I've definitely heard from families the idea of, you know, bringing in concepts like the evil eye or karma and, those concepts as contributing to the origin or development of autism. Um, I remember talking to one mom who said, you know, um, like my, my son, I've never been able to like take him on play dates or take him to like family events because I've literally heard from other parents like, oh, you know, I don't want your child to play with my child because then they might end up that way.
0: Oh no, that's so sad. Oh my right. gosh. How I heartbreaking. Like, hearing that as a parent is so so frustrating. Yeah. So sad. Yeah,
1: and I think that speaks to just how little kind of understanding or um sort of empathy, right? Compassion there is for these um individuals, uh, these children, these caregivers. Um, often, you know, just with the the way that gender biases work in in our community as well, mothers get blamed quite a bit for the origin of autism as well. Um, And that leaves them without support, right? The the support that they would naturally enjoy from their families, their extended families, their social networks and and communities. Um, So we end up in in this community often isolating um, families and Uh, individuals on the autism spectrum, because we don't understand where it comes from. We don't understand that it's, you know, not contagious. Um, Even among, like, like I mentioned, the teacher training we did uh, in Sri Lanka. And I remember one of the teachers saying, oh, you know, um, kids with autism have thicker tongues, and that's why they can't speak. And you're like, what? (laughs) Where did that come from? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There's Got to be a real understanding of the diversity of autism and the strengths that come with being autistic.
0: No, definitely. And I think something that just really caught my attention when you mentioned how a lot of the times, you know, a mom, the mother will get sort of blamed mm-hmm. for the child being born with the autism and how isolating that can be and how difficult that can be. That resonated with me because I think it wasn't even a month ago where my own mom like read like a, an article or something. I, I doubt it was a real article, mm-hmm. but something about how a woman in our in our South Asian community was experiencing some side of like difficulty and went to the doctor, could figure it out, and then took a medication on her own, like over the counter. Whoa. and was and the baby was born with autism and then somehow the mother was blamed because of taking the medication and I'm just listening to my own mom tell me that and I'm in I'm in pharmacy school right so I you know I deal with you know the patients who talk about oh maybe vaccines will give my child autism and things like that so I, I try and overcome those in the ways that we're taught in school by you know stating the facts and yeah. you know speaking in a way that's culturally sensitive towards them as well because because mm-hmm. in the end of the day they are parents right they're also trying to protect their child but then when i hear my own mom tell me something like that like oh like when you're you know in the future if you ever get pregnant make sure you're really careful with what you like consume and it's so hurtful because this is a woman who's a mother in her own right and her mm-hmm. all the difficulties that will come in the future for her, her partner her family and her child now who's born with autism and she doesn't need to mm-hmm. be dealing with people around her especially and definitely not the close people around her considering her to be the cause of the issue when it really is isn't an issue it's not a it's not something that was deliberately caused absolutely
1: but i think that can be really easily missed as a as a message because of how little we we understand about autism's you know ideology um and i know that you know WhatsApp university is alive and well in our community
0: oh yes oh my <laughs> gosh what's that that's what my dad calls it what's <laughs> up my oh my god <laughs> everyone's an expert you know even
1: with the covid 19 pandemic, right? All the different remedies that came up to to make sure that you didn't end up with COVID. In the same way, like those articles about vaccines or other medications or what have you that might cause autism um, can often create a lot of blowback because there's so much wrapped in, uh, wrapped up in being a mother and the responsibility, like the honor of it, but the responsibility of it as well that comes with being a South Asian mother, right? Um, your child and and their capacity is is a direct reflection of who you are. And for for many parents, like I've heard, and, and it's heartbreaking, like to me when I hear that. But for many parents, it's like when they get that diagnosis, it's like their dreams die right? There's like a grieving process, which there, I mean, really shouldn't be. And at the same time, like I have the greatest compassion for, for that experience because of, you know, what family means in our community.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, I did want to ask, when you have these families, especially, I know the uh, Sack Autism Center, I assume, you know, works with a wide variety of individuals, but with specifically children, how has your experience been in the sense that, you know, any resistant from any resistance from family members when a, you know a child is kind of transitioning into the center and gaining support from the re- and resources?
1: Yeah, you know, I've definitely seen mixed reactions, I think Sometimes a lot of the work we do is around supporting parents, um, even when we take parents into cares, and we offer that program right away because we always tie caregiver mental health to how well the child is doing as well in treatment, um, their own mental health, the family functioning as a whole, um, and often what we'll get. When we do registration or kind of info sessions for that program, or even the first session of of cares, parents will come and they'll have so many questions. What is autism? Like, what does this mean for my child? Right. So there's almost this understanding, and and to some extent, a grieving process that we have to help them through um, in order to support that child's transition to, to receiving services. And the parent's conceptualization of that identity is, is so crucial to helping that child develop a strong sense of their autistic identity, right? And, and a positive identity around that so that it doesn't mean that, you know, it's, it's like a, like it's not like a, an illness so much as this neurodiverse condition and can lead to and contribute to so many strengths and, and wonderful things for their future. Other times, I've, I've seen relief because I think it's also really difficult for these families not really having the understanding of their community, maybe their primary care providers. And so when they get to our center, it's, it's like, oh, here are the people who understand, right? Here are the people that can actually help me
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like SAC does so much great work in that sense, and it makes it the transition so much better for the families that are struggling like that. Absolutely. We've
1: built a a really lovely community um, in our center, and um, we're just really enjoying seeing it thrive as as we continue to expand. That's great.
0: And uh, kind of moving to uh, a different topic, I did want to ask a little bit about how you would describe Applied behavior analysis or ABA, and its role and uh, the controversy behind it a little bit. Sure. So that's a
1: question I I won't speak too much on because I'm not uh, a behavioral therapist, um, and so as a as a psychologist, um, especially someone who's not really working uh, directly clinically at at SAC or. Um, kind of is is in that sort of ABA world. I don't want to sort of throw in my, like, two cents where it, it shouldn't be, if that makes sense. But I'm aware of, you know, ABA's uh, recent controversy, especially coming from, you know, autistic self-advocates um, who have suggested that that kind of methodology is actually at an early age, quite traumatizing. Um, And I do think it's important to give voice to autistic self-advocates and work collaboratively with them. And that goes for any treatment, right? Like any person should have a say in what kind of treatment that they're receiving. And um, intervention is, is most successful when it's collaborative. And I think it's also important to consider you know, what does that kind of intervention mean for for autistic identity, right? And how can we help heal the people who feel that they've been hurt or even traumatized by um, intervention that perhaps they didn't really have a say in or they felt hurt them? At the same time, I think, it, you know, as an academic, it always goes back to the science, right? So what is uh, effective is, is ABA showing, you know, the results that we expect um, for it to be a, a successfully utilized intervention um, as widely as as it may be used right now, right? So I think that that's also important to consider. But beyond that, that's not really a debate I want to wade into.
0: <laughs> I understand. Thank you for touching on it a little bit. And, uh, Could we talk a little bit more about specific programs and uh, interventions uh, for autistic individuals at SAC?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we pride ourselves on on having sort of a wide diversity of of programming. Um, One of my uh, favorite sort of range or category of programs we offer are actually our expressive arts programs. Um, so we offer things like dance and and music programs, uh, for our clients. Um, you gotta see the talent, like the visual artists that we have.
0: Oh, how nice.
1: (laughs) I couldn't draw like that. Let me tell you, like I would buy those canvases and put them up in my home. Like they are gorgeous.
0: That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I think it's so great that, you know, the first thing you mentioned was the art, form of it, the dance and the music yeah. and the art, I think that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what I think about when
1: I think about SAC because it's, it, those programs especially lend themselves to a certain vibrancy that we have. And I think it represents also like South Asian community and culture to me, which is all about, you know, color and and being loud and, you know, showing up. Right. And, and so those are some of my favorite programs. Uh, we recently um, introduced some some like health slash fitness programming as well. Um, another really cool program that we have is uh, our Goodness Gift social enterprise program. Um, that's another one of my favorites. And so the social enterprise program is focused on um, helping uh, autistic adults, young adults transition into the workforce, um, and so you know, providing supported employment opportunities like at restaurants or bakeries and and places where they can really succeed and feel like they're progressing, right, in in professional development. Um, and so part of that will include like practicing interviews and, and things like that. Um, but we have our own kind of in-house uh, social enterprise employment uh, opportunity, which is um, goodness gifts, where um, we put together like gift boxes. Um, and like, so Christmas, for example, Christmas gift boxes, or other or other sort of kits uh, that are sold. Um, and those, especially at Christmas time, like I tend to buy a bunch and, and share those with, uh, you know, people I have to do Christmas shopping for. Um, they're beautiful, like they're wonderfully packed. Um, they've got lots of treats and other uh, fun like self-care things in in them. Um, and yeah, no, I think it's it's just such a beautiful marriage of showing the community what, um, you know, with supports autistic individuals are, are capable of. Um, and also just, you know, being able to to engage them in in something that's so fun and, and creative—that's
0: amazing—and and I think it's helpful. So right. great that um, your program offered, the organization offers a program that specifically does help you know the transition. That's amazing, and I think it's so great that um, your program offered, the organization offers a program that specifically does help, you know, the transition. Because I think when you mention on how, you know, with support, anything is possible, right? You know, and having that transition that mm-hmm. makes it easier, I assume would make, you know, the individual who's had to, you know, survive with this, you know, hindrance some may see their whole life, now they're in the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. A young professional and, and I think it's especially you know, heartening in our community where, because of this, like I said, for many maybe. parents, they, so they feel like you know their dreams
1: have died, and so it is so empowering and and honestly so moving to to see how this helps not only the individual and their sense of self esteem, but their parents and their families as well, right and you know, it it's directly challenging that belief of, oh, this, you know, individual can't do things, you know, focusing on all the can'ts and instead focusing on what can they do, right? How can we support them to really use their strengths?
0: No, definitely. And, I think it's such a big part of it, you know, making the, tra- the the fact that you mentioned, you know, how amazing it feels for the family mm-hmm. as well, because across so many, you know, diverse communities, but definitely in the South Asian community, family is so significantly important. And like like you mentioned, like the mm-hmm. idea of, you know, my child being born with autism is like, oh, a dream has died in me. all the thi- All the possibilities mm-hmm. of what they could have done is now limited. But no, with you know with this help with help, with support, absolutely and you know programs that are offered, maybe it's you know in some ways, you know, limited, but in most ways, you know, it's the sky's the limit. So that's amazing. And actually, and actually for in specifically for um women, I wanted to ask, so um, I mean, I think in that case, especially you know, women of color,
1: women it's, of it's color kind of a double whammy of intersectionality, you know, undiagnosed right? First, for females in general, um, the diagnostic criteria uh, that we currently work with uh, to diagnose autism is pretty much out of step with the expression of autism in females. And that's true for many other concerns, many other disorders, So what autism looks like in females is understudied because there's this strong bias in the science, like in the scientific literature towards what autism looks like in in males. Um, So often females end up being mislabeled with other conditions. There are also uh, theories that females are just generally um, better at what we call masking, right? Like social camouflaging, better at sort of fitting in. And even if you think about kind of the, the cultural and gender norms associated with South Asian females, you know, being quiet, being introverted, um, not going out, (laughs) you know, uh, those are all things that can work really well for for females with autism, right? Um, And a lot of that's, you know, what I explained is, is true for people of color as well, where diagnostic criteria that we've developed to date to help us diagnose neurodevelopmental disorders and and mental health conditions don't really base themselves on visible minority communities. They have developed all of that mostly on on Caucasian populations. Um, So I think for females of of color, it's, it's doubly difficult to understand what the clinical presentation looks like and then get that diagnosis. Because part of what's a challenge with uh, people of color is also that lack of early identification or diagnosis, right? Because, you know, maybe the family doesn't know what autism is or looks like. Maybe they would rather sweep those symptoms out of the rug, like you know, under the rug. Um, and even if they do go to then their first point of contact, which here in, in Ontario would be their primary care provider, that person who often is is a person of color as well may also not know what autism looks like right or may want to sort of protect them from the stigma and so it ends up being yeah this this double whammy of a, of a situation where we're just not capturing that population of, of females of color in the autistic community as well as we'd like
0: You know, I think it's so interesting. You used a word that I just like, I'm clinging mm-hmm. onto to it because I think it describes almost perfectly what I imagine, what, you know, p- women of color may feel is, you know, the masking, you know, I, I think in South Asian women in particular, and I'm sure other women of color, um, or women even in general, sometimes feel that they need to be, you know, always putting on a front mm-hmm. to make sure they're protecting themselves, they're protecting their loved ones from, you know, unnecessarily unnecessary challenges or problems or issues from society or from other people. So I think, you know, it can be so difficult sometimes to even for a woman to even allow herself to consider that, you know, maybe you know, maybe this isn't a struggle that I can overcome on my own. Maybe I do need just some help. Yeah. And I, I need to figure out there's something different going on yeah. with me, and i can reach out and i can you know maybe get that support that i need but it getting to that step i think is so difficult because of the idea that we should have always need to have that mask mm-hmm. on and absolutely know, be protective. i mean of
1: women our family name or by you know, and large but especially in, like, in the south asian community are considered almost social so, facilitators right we play the role of smoothing things out and often putting others' needs above our own. And so it's exactly what you've described, which is we might use that, that social camouflaging skill to then really kind of fly under the radar until it becomes too much, right? Until it's truly evident that support is is needed. And, and the scary thing about that is empowered women are, are still something that our community is is coming to terms with as a whole, right? And women putting their needs out there and saying I need help and, and saying I'm not okay is still something that I think we're all kind of grappling with. Um, a friend of mine recently uh, went out and, and got an autism assessment. She's in her 50s. And so it obviously is it's a long time coming, right? And even in even in speaking with her, though, like now, I think it's it's been a few months since she got that diagnosis. But, you know, we're already having conversations Definitely. about how there's there's blowback and how, you know, supports, um, even as she's trying to find supports and, and disclosing her, her diagnosis uh, to help with that, there's there's blowback.
0: No, I agree. I think the idea that, you know, like you mentioned, because women are often the social facilitators, the idea that they could be, in a way, struggling in this sense is so almost inconceivable to many, you know, people who, you know, when confronted with the idea. And I think it's so inspiring that your friend did, you know, Mm -hmm. take it on herself to be you know, to be decisive Mm -hmm. and get that, you know, that that Mm -hmm. testing done and understand, you know, what's going on with her, with her body, with her mind and, you know, come to peace with that, find that support. I think that's so inspiring. I think that's amazing because, you know, and I have heard stories about this, how, you know, it will go undiagnosed for years and years and years. But when people think, what I believe that a lot of people think of autism and imagine it in children. And the idea that, you know, oh, like a a moderately, you know, high functioning individual in their, in high school, in college, Mm -hmm. a working individual professional, the idea that they could also be diagnosed with autism at that stage, or even living with autism for years, if it's not... I feel like so many people think of autism as a as like a almost a barrier in the sense that you know if a person has autism they're not going to be someone I work with or someone I go to the gym with or someone I see in everyday life doing things that I do because oh they have autism but that's not true that Mm -hmm. is absolutely not true you know and I think it's I think it's so important to raise awareness about that and make it a normal thing, especially in the South Asian community well where mental health, you know, difficulties and you know, autism is so rarely spoken about and very hush-hush. So um, my last question, uh, I did want to ask some things you believe, you know, parents, teachers, um, even healthcare providers, you know, some things they can look out for and, you know, under, you know, know about when diagnosing specifically, you know, women or young girls
1: who might not show
0: like the typical signs of autism, developmental concern or mental health concern.
1: The first step is really being able to talk about it, right? Whether it's to talk about it with a, a relative or a friend that, you trust in your community, um, whether it's it's to talk about it with uh, a professional, a healthcare professional. Um, your family physician is often a great first step, because I've heard and and seen so many parents, families who are just simply in in denial, right. Kind of the idea of oh like you know my daughter's fine like why why would I even consider like you know she's getting good grades in school um, who cares if she doesn't have any friends she's a good girl she'll she stays at home and she does her chores like I've I've heard this like a youth schooler right and and the parents are like my my daughter gets good grades my daughter stays at home she's the perfect child <laughs> right right um i think really <laughs> just being able to have those conversations is is really important because it can be eye opening about okay. what your child might seem like or function compared to other children right of their age um and and even talking to to your child especially if if they're high functioning right like that that high schooler might have been really struggling about the idea that they don't know how to interact with their peers. Right. Um, But unless you actually have a conversation with them, you're, you're not going to be able to understand their needs and, and challenges. So yes, often, you know, females uh, with autism seem like they, they prefer to, to spend time alone. They may not be able to, you know, start conversations or recognize social cues. Um, they might have, you know, very specific um, sort of deep interest in, uh, in, I don't know, like some sort of like interest, right? Um, like a hobby or an area of interest that they just won't stop talking about. Um, and therefore they end up kind of coming off as, as maybe eccentric, but not necessarily quote unquote autistic. Right. Um, But those other sort of behavioral symptoms will be there often, too, like repetitive movements or, you know, a a real preference or fixation on rituals or or routines. Um, There might be sort of sensory sensitivities, like with food or textures, light or noise. Um, So all of those things, you know, we can still look out for whether male or female. Um, But I think because of some of those sociocultural factors we talked about, um, it can be a little harder, slash, uh, a little less, you know, um, motivating to, to detect autism and diagnose that in females. No worries.
0: Okay, great. And, you know, I know I said that was my last question, but something just came up and popped up in my mind. Um, so what are some ways you could suggest people, you know, people who don't interact with um, others with developmental issues, people don't, who don't um, know much about it, how, how would you suggest to them to learn more and you know, raise awareness for themselves in order to be a little bit more
1: I mean, uh, competent I think and, the you know, biggest thing that they the can do is listen, the, right? Um, you know, um, I think or we learn the most and, and we're starting to realize like the, the expert um, of the autistic experience are people with autism, right? Um, and so self-advocates um, have been empowered now to to be able to share that experience and, and what it means for them to be autistic. And, and I think we as a community, whether it's the broader community or kind of the, the scientific slash service community, really need to um, open our ears and, and listen. Um, I think that's especially true for for the South Asian community because we we're still a little bit behind in terms of you know giving Space and and voice to to self advocates um, in the autistic community. Um, so I I definitely love to hear more from you know people in our community with autism. But I think the other great thing is that there are lots of resources now that are available. You know, using reputable sources. Uh, so there, I mean, I, I know that there are Canadian sort of resources like Aid Canada, or you know, the agencies um, in in Canada offer lots of resources for people to learn more and understand more about neurodevelopmental uh, conditions and and autism and, and things like that, mental health even. Um, and I'm I'm sure there are resources in the U.S. as well, right? That are available. I think it's it's just about being able to get that information out to the South Asian community, um, whether it's you know through like webinars, whether it's through books, like maybe it's through WhatsApp, right? <laughs> like maybe we just need to do our own counter campaigning on WhatsApp. <laughs>
0: Yes. What's up, Maraj? Always. (laughs) But no, I agree with you that in many senses, the South Asian community are, you know, steps behind in the sense of like advocacy and being understanding and open to learning more about um, developmental disorders, mental health issues, just in general, we're steps behind, but we are catching up, definitely. And I, you know, and I think it's
1: so Absolutely. amazing,
0: again, the, that the, or an organization like SAC exists for, of course, South Asians and then other diverse communities as well. But um, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much, Dr. Rumla uh, Kapin, for joining us. I learned so much and I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, to our listeners, if you have any questions or feedback on today's episode, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, be sure to reach out to us on social media. If you like today's episode, be sure to follow us on your favorite platform and stay tuned for the next episode. Until next time, this is Priya signing off. Take care and stay safe.